0: Let us pray. (laughs) Psalm 43. Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and the unjust man, for thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out thy light and thy truth, let them lead me, let them bring me into thy holy hill and into thy tabernacles. Then will I go into the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp I will praise thee, O God, my God. Why art thou cast down? O my soul, and why art thou so disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Amen.
1: All right.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. We've been talking about uh, Anglican chant and how that works with the Psalms and is is so central. Uh, Somebody was mentioning about how this is sometimes more like a music class than a Bible study. And I said that I I wouldn't do this in another setting, but but this is an Anglican church and the Psalms are so often sung and are such an absolutely central part in our worship that uh, I I find myself taking this uh, this time along. Well, we were beginning to talk about uh, the, the very beginnings of, of, uh, of the Anglican Church at the time of the Reformation, and we had some interesting dialogue about that last week. So if you'll allow me now to get a little historic, it's good to see what our background as Anglicans is, and especially as it relates to the Psalms. There's a man named John Murbeck. You see his dates there. Now this doesn't work. Well, right. <laughs> uh, he is the first. Look at the dates: 1510 to 1585. He was the first to develop Anglican chant as short phrases of Gregorian chant from the Roman Catholic Church. So small, little musical phrases, little tunes that he took out of larger Roman Catholic chants and set to harmony, and some in unison. Now, uh, the stuff that we've been hearing here has been four-part choir stuff, but originally it was intended to be done in unison. You'll notice if you're going to sing this and you're a bass, for instance, you don't have a note for every syllable of text here. So this was intended to be accompanied, and uh, the singing would have been all in unison. Now this, uh, some sources said 1550 and some said 1549, but it's roughly the same thing. It didn't last long, Murbeck's work, because it was made obsolete because of a new prayer book that came along and the words were a little different and and it changed uh, changed what was, I don't know enough about it to give details, maybe some of you do. But then, shortly after that, as we'll see in a minute, uh, there was a huge move in England to get rid of choirs and organs. And so it's only much later, like a hundred years later, when Anglican chant uh, comes onto the scene. Now, I, I just put this together this week, and I don't mean to make your eyes cross, but if you're into the history of this whole thing, we can learn a lot about the beginnings of our worship in England from this so we have all the kings of England here in a row and queens (laughs) uh, and their dates that they lived and what was going on as it relates to our subject during that period of time so roughly 1532 uh, England uh, makes its big break with Rome Uh, or we might say Rome makes its break with the English church because it was Rome that did the, uh, did the excommunicating, not, not England. Uh, the Coverdale Bible, that from which we get our psalms that we sing or, or say each week, is 1535. It's in the reign of Henry VIII. You see, Henry gives it his royal license in the year 1537. So we have the Coverdale Bible that's uh, functioning at that point. Henry dies, his son Edward VI takes over, as you see, just for six years. He's not a healthy little boy. Uh, There is an Edwardian iconoclasm. Now, I'm not speaking of icons now, but I'm speaking of uh, statues, uh, music, organs, things like that. Edward is more Protestant more uh, devoutly Protestant than than Henry was, and so he's very strongly influenced by what was going on with the Calvinists in Geneva. In 1549, you see the first Book of Common Prayer and Murbeck's Anglican chant that I just showed you. But in 1552, the Book of Common Prayer is revised. Well, then Edward dies, and Roman Catholic Mary takes over, so the Book of Common Prayer is completely abolished. And she just reigns for, what, five years or so. She dies, and Elizabeth I takes the throne for a good long time. The Book of Common Prayer is modified, and it's reintroduced. Now, musically, what's going on in this period of time gets really complicated, and I I don't want to get into it too much except to say a lot of it is just psalm singing. And uh, in the high... Like the the Chapel Royal, where the royals did their worshipping, there was more advanced musical settings going on. But in the average church, it was basically just psalm singing, as far as I understand it. All right, so Elizabeth dies James I, comes onto the scene, and again, the Book of Common Prayer is revised, uh, right after he uh, takes the throne. Next in line is Charles I, you see his dates there, and some things start to happen now. Remember, Charles I is the last one before the uh, uh, Cromwell and the, uh, what we call the uh, interregnum, is that the, the right word for that? Between yeah. The kings. yeah, between the kings. And so, uh, but while Charles is still on the throne, look what's happening. Sternholden Hopkins comes out with an English psalter. There were different Psalters that were being used, but now Sternhold and Hopkins puts out theirs and it catches on really well. In 1643, there's a horrendous iconoclasm that goes on. And here is a report of it. Now again, this is during the reign of Charles I. The Puritans and Charles (laughs) I were at loggerheads with each other and both fighting for power. And uh, the Puritans want more plain worship. Uh, it wasn't The Reformation was not pure enough as far as they were concerned. So here in, uh, during the English Civil War, Bishop Joseph Hall of Norwich describes the events of 1643 as troops and citizens responded to a parliamentary ordinance against superstition and idolatry. This is a parliament that is controlled at this point by the Puritans. Lord, he quotes, Lord, what a work was here, what clattering of glasses, what beating down of walls, what tearing up of monuments, what pulling down of seats, what wrestling out of irons and brass from the windows, what defacing of arms, what demolishing of curious stonework, what tooting and piping upon organ pipes. What a hideous triumph in the marketplace before all the country, when all the mangled organ pipes, vestments, both copes and surplices, together with the leaden cross which had newly been sawn down from the green yard pulpit, and the service books and singing books that could be carried to the fire in the public marketplace were heaped together. It's amazing and what was going on so that this happens as I said 1543 in Charles's reign in fact he's got six more years in the throne in 1645 the book of common prayer is again shoved aside and is replaced by what was developed by a group of theologians who gathered in Westminster Uh, and and develop the Westminster Confessions of Faith and also put together a directory of public worship. And here's what it says in the section on the singing of psalms. Charles I is still on the throne. It is the duty of Christians to praise God publicly by singing of psalms together in the congregation and also privacy, nothing about plain chant, nothing about Anglican chant, nothing about choirs, psalms together in the congregation, and also privately in the family. In singing of psalms, the voice is to be tunably, gravely ordered, but the chief care must be to sing with understanding and with grace in the heart, making melody unto the Lord. There he quotes uh, from Scripture, that the whole congregation may join herein, Everyone that can read is to have a psalm book, and all others, not disabled by age or otherwise, are to be exhorted to learn to read. But for the present, where many in the congregation cannot read, it is convenient that the minister or some other fit person appointed by him and the ruling officers do read the psalm line by line before the singing thereof. That would go like this. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise, Praise him, all
1: here below. Here see some of the problems already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> line by line, verse after verse after verse. Some of the psalms were quite long. And this is how it would go. Sometimes the precentor, who was the name of this person, uh, couldn't sing very well. So he would say the line, and the people would then sing the tune as they had it in their
1: heads.
0: (laughs) And this was a problem carried over to the United States in early worship in New England. And uh, some of the people reporting on the worship in New England said that sometimes there were two or three tunes going on all at the same time. (laughs) All right, so moving ahead past all of that. Are there any thoughts or questions about that? I probably wouldn't have any answers, but uh, Father?
2: I should point out that though that was during Charles I's reign, it was not Charles I's uh, preference. To oh, no. They're right, no. It's just, just to clarify, yeah. Charles I was against this eventually the loggerheads oh you did mention loggerheads.
0: Yes I did indeed. <laughs> <And> <laughs> but thank you for pointing That's very very much the case. That's it's just to be be a
2: little bit earlier, the, Yes, about the excommunication between Rome and, and England. It wasn't ever the English that excommunicated Rome. The Romans excommunicated the English but thirty years later. It wasn't okay. in the thirties, it was in the sixties. Okay. When it was when it was apparent to Rome that England was not coming back. Then they decided: okay. Very, thank you. I', there were I hopes for 30 years.
0: That I did English not know would that come
2: back.
0: Yeah. Although to that point, as I was putting this together, it became clear to me the assigning of exact dates to a lot of this that was going on is, gets you in the ballpark. But these were I mean, the iconoclasms went on for years. So the fact that there was just one date there doesn't mean it all happened then. All of this gets mishmashed depending who you are, where you are in England, and uh, who's in charge, where you are, things change all the time. It must have been an absolutely eye-crossing time to try to be a faithful Christian in England, just trying to figure out what God wanted you to do. Okay. So eventually, after all this is over, <laughs> we get into what we call Anglican chant. And uh, the churches now again, this ch- the way churches are designed is also in flux during this period of time. But what you see in the picture here, and as we talked about last week, what do you see, what you could very easily see in our sanctuary, if we got the organ moved somewhere else and put chairs where the organ is facing each other, you'd have this. There are normally two sides facing each other. Why are they facing each other like that? Because they're
1: in dialogue with each
0: other. Dialogue doing what? Singing the Psalms. We've been talking about the parallelism within the Psalms, back and forth. That's why it's designed this way. <clears throat> On the north side, you have the cantoris, which means... Of the cantor, the cantor side. The cantor would be the musician who leads uh, in, in the singing aspects. Uh, Decani is the comes from the word, Latin word for dean, and then that would be the south side. So here is Psalm 23, which pray for me. I am now going to try to get back to where that is so that we can hear it and follow along at the same time, Um, Psalm 23. All right, somebody asked last week about the Psalms of Ascent, and I was going to talk about that anyway, so here we are. We're going to skip all about the uh, plain chant. Apparently we're not supposed to do that. So uh, there is in in the Bible a list of Psalms that have a superscription that says... uh, psalm of ascent or of ascent and so what what's that all about well we know uh, that the jews were to travel three times a year to jerusalem for the major festivals of the year now jerusalem is located in the hill country Uh, you're pretty much going up if you're going to jerusalem so most scholars think that's what this psalms of ascent means these were psalms That the Jews would sing in their groups as they were uh, going to the festivals in Jerusalem for one of the three festivals. Oops. Uh, uh, It could also, the scholars tell us, it could also refer to ascending both literally and figuratively of the Jews returning from Babylon. We do know, as I say here, that some Psalms uh, appear to be before the time of the exile, but some are clearly after the time of the exile. Psalm 126, which is one of the Psalms of Ascent. When the Lord brought back the captives to Jerusalem, well, captives from where? From Babylon, far a little bit past the actual Psalms of Ascent. This one does not have a superscription for that, but it's by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Now there's another theory that uh, in the the temple in Jerusalem, this is a model of the temple that they have built up uh, just north of the main part of Jerusalem. Uh, outside of a a hotel. They built a mock-up of Jerusalem with buildings about this high uh, from the time of Jesus. And so this is the best interpretation of what the temple looked like. Surrounding the outside would be the court of the Gentiles, a huge, huge area where Gentiles could go. Then there is a wall, and then you have this area, which was known as the court of the women. And then there were 15 steps if I can remember right, uh, the steps of Nicanor or something like that. Uh, and that led into the uh, inner court where was the altar and the basin for the washings and where all the sacrificing was done. And of course, only men were allowed to go back there. But these 15 steps got involved in some of these celebrations, uh, processions of the priests and all that. And some think they may have read one of these uh, Psalms of Ascent as they ascended up these 15 steps, since there's 15 Psalms of Ascent. Well, let's take a look at one of them, and it's Psalm 21. Again, Lavi la, Oculos is just the Latin for the very first words. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. Let's, let's do this Psalm together, and let's pay attention to the Parallelism that exists within each verse. So I'll be the the precentor, the deacon, or the uh, uh, cantor. Cantor, thank you. Uh, and you do the the follow-up. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. From from which my help. help cometh even from the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved.
1: And he, and he that keepeth thee will not sleep. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall be slumber
0: slumbering sleep. The Lord himself is thy keeper. The Lord is thy best on thy right hand. So that the sun shall not burn thee by day, and the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. Day is to thee. Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this from time, time forth forevermore. Ah, all the time of speaking whole verses makes me confused. And probably you too. All right. Uh, now, in the in many places in the Anglican tradition, there is this idea of pausing, even when they do the uh, the parallelism within the verse. There's a pause. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. That's a tradition. I don't know how that got started or why. Again, some of you probably do. Um, But to me, (laughs) again, as I just think of this in my training in the study of the Psalms as literature, that seems to destroy the whole point of the dialogue that's going on. I mean, sometimes we're right in the middle of the sentence, Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep, we would say. Um, To put an artificial pause there has its reasons. I guess it keeps people together in a worship service. But to me, it uh, kind of spoils the parallelism that's going on there. Now, there is, again, I have this all out of order Okay. Things just aren't going well today for me. Um, okay, we're going to do this even though it's out of order. Everything's out of order today. There is a way. When I was organist at St. James Episcopal Church up in Piney Mountain Road, heading out north uh, on, on uh, Pleasant Pleasantburg. Uh, turn off to the right and go up there. While well, I was when I was at a conservative Presbyterian seminary, I was the organist at a not so conservative Episcopal <laughs> church. But I had a good two years there, and their congregation sang the songs every week. They did it to a very simple tune that I'm going to teach you right now. Uh, it goes like this: da 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 da. Da 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 da. So there's a whole um, lot kind of words and then just one word, one syllable at the end of the phrase. Alright? Listen again. Da 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 Sing that. da 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 da. up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh even from the Lord, who hath made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved, and he that keepeth thee will not sleep. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord himself is thy keeper. The Lord is thy defense upon thy right hand, so that the sun shall not burn thee by day, neither the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. Yea, it is even he that shall keep thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy coming in from this time forth forevermore. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be. Okay. The musically speaking, the music would go like this. I will lift up my eyes, right? That'll yeah, that'll yeah. Be- be I so can be a Okay, good. You All good. right. Yeah, go ahead. Can you move back one? Back one. Okay. we can get to the
2: beginning of it. Well, let's see.
0: Please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: He that keepeth his
0: next at this point just from... <laughs> all
3: right
0: i did want to do a little bit of more actual bible study and, into this this psalm so just bear with me it's only 15 more minutes <laughs> you're doing great okay uh, a number of things so like and then i'd be interested in this is a psalm that i'm sure most all of you know probably some of you haven't memorized uh, one of the most uh, beautiful and famous psalms in all of Scripture. Remember, it's a Psalm of Ascent. Most scholars say the idea isn't the 15 steps, and isn't so much the going from Babylon to Jerusalem, but the triannual cycle of going uh, to the city of Jerusalem from wherever they lived. And they would do this in large groups, and they would be singing. While well, they do it very often, and that's the point of these. This is what they would be seeing. So notice it starts out in first person. "I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh even from the Lord who hath made heaven and earth." Now there's many ways to interpret the beginning of that lifting your eyes to the hills. If you're in the low country and you're moving to Jerusalem, which is the high country, uh, to me the logical meaning of that makes all the sense in the world. But you're giving testimony to yourself at this point. Then notice what happens in verse three. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. Some translations say slip. And you remember we read Psalm 73 a number of weeks ago where there was talking about slipping going on there too. He will not suffer thy foot to be... so oh, by the way, the whole path... How many of you have been to Israel? It's one stony, rocky country. So there are rocks all over the place. Uh, it was amazing to me how many rocks were in the ground. Even when they had, you would think, had cleared the land for... Uh, agricultural purposes, <laughs> centuries ago. But still, there's just rocks everywhere. Uh, so this this kind of language would make all the sense in the world to them. But it's now not me anymore. It's you. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. Remember, we talked before about Colossians three sixteen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as with all wisdom. You teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Well, here it is in this psalm. As they're going up, they're encouraging each other. They're admonishing each other. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved, and he that keepeth thee will not sleep. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord himself is thy keeper. The Lord is thy defense. Some translations use the word shade at that point. Two very different ideas, I guess. Uh, I guess you could argue that they mean the same thing. But when I think of the use of the word shade there, it's hot. And you're walking all day. And so the idea of God providing some shade, some comfort and relief from the sun, which... uh, mentioned sun somewhere on the line here. Yeah, so that the sun shall not burn thee by night. So the word defense we understand, but uh, the the word shade takes you in a different place. So that the sun shall not burn thee by day, neither the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. Yea, it is even he that shall keep thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth, forevermore. I could say some more about it, but where where do you where does your mind take you for this very famous and beloved song? Anybody have some life experience that relates to this? End?
3: 7 talks about the Lord preserving us from evil and there's spiritual warfare going on all the time the spiritual place in spiritual places between the forces of the good and evil and that we're not aware of
0: Thank you. Anything
2: else? It's like a message of uh, a journey. There's a picture there of going somewhere or being outside under the sun at the daytime and the the moon at night and and you're going out and you're coming in and it reminds me of uh, Psalm 23 with Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evils. In other words, you're, you're able to go out, you're going to be down by pastures, you're going to be up on you can be down in valleys, and anywhere you go, and anything that occurs to you, you're going to be
4: okay. It's, it's, a, it's a similar message. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, too, we see the, the poetry here more than in, in a lot of other songs. But I mean, think of all the different anthems and music that have been composed <laughs> with these texts. So. That's just yeah, a beautiful, that's beautiful. I, I mean, those thoughts.
0: And this is beautiful. Good. Yeah. Now a uh, skeptic might come and say these are false promises. Horrible things happen to Christians. Terrible things. Terrible things are happening to Christians every day in places all over the world more than we'd like to think about right now. In what sense is this psalm anything other than pie in the sky?
1: It's some of say I'll protect you from any evil or any wrongdoing that's ever going to happen in your life. It's a psalm of hope that God going to be there.
0: It says the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. But
1: that does not necessarily mean that no evil will ever come to you. He said Lord will preserve you
0: we know that's true. We know that's true. But uh, I, how
1: do I tell us skin that? Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. When you're trying to convince them that Scripture is what you live by and that Scripture is true, and then you run into a psalm like this. Well,
1: you can't.
4: We speak to every situation, but um, we can certainly testify to, to how he's been our keeper and how he has, has helped us through the, the, the years. And there's so much in there that we know to be true in our own lives. I mean, whether or not we're experiencing it the second of the, the day um, certainly happened in the past. What
0: does James tell us in the first chapter when all sorts of troubles and difficulties come into your life? What are you supposed to do, according to James? Persevere. More than persevere. Thank God. Welcome them as friends, James says. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But, but there you go. If you believe the things that we're all saying and confessing, that I think we all here affirm. So my question. I thought you had your hand up. I can always say something. What <laughs> 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 do I say? I didn't mean to put you in any particular
1: I spot. I just thought at, I
0: saw your hand up. I was looking at the bottom
1: of
2: the Well <laughs> uh, <laughs> You could easily say, I mean, this is a psalm, it's the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, we're looking at Christ. If we take the name Christian and we look at our leader our Lord. He goes to the cross. And so if we're looking for health and wealth and prosperity and ease, mm-hmm. you might want to take a different name than Christian. Because a Christian is one who suffers, but he may even cry out, my God, my God, why has that forsaken me? But he's never truly forsaken. And in the end, actually, it's new life, an eternal life. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's victory and overcoming and uh, as Christ says, uh, in this world you will have tribulation, but essentially don't despair. Yeah. I have overcome the world. Now that's a New Testament message, mm-hmm. but of course the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. That's so right. here we have a kernel form,
0: real hope, yeah. and well-founded. Yeah. Well, getting back to James again, the second verse after that verse says, <laughs> "Welcome them as friends." Uh, the, the trials, and it says, because they develop your faith. They develop character. Uh, and, uh, he, pr- he gives you this whole process. I, I can't put the order of it together in my head just right now. Um, but uh, patience leads to perseverance, leads to uh, character, so that the person of God will be well equipped to face what, what goes on in, in the world. So there is that, too, and that gets us then to the more spiritual interpretations of this, doesn't it? Uh, Yes, uh, everything bad that happens to non-Christians happens to Christians, too, and some of it's downright awful. But there's a plan, and it's a training program that we're going through. Uh, I don't know... I hesitate to say this because it's a new thing that I've decided (laughs) and think about. But I'm increasingly coming to the point of thinking that our time on earth can best be described as a training program. It's boot camp. Mm -hmm. And we're preparing for the life to come. And every time that we get upset when things don't go our way. uh, Things don't go your way when you're in a training program. It's tough. It's to develop us for things. Yeah. I mm-hmm. was
2: find the first verse. Very interesting. Um, it's sort of like I I looked around me for an
1: answer. Um, where you know where does my help come from? Why am I looking at mountains? Why am I looking at nature? Why am I looking at people around me? My home. The second verse reminds me of my help comes from yeah. the Lord, not from the hills. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I heard something along the same lines once. I don't said it, but they were saying that the, uh, a lot of times the pagans have their idols in the hills mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the dark places. Mm-hmm. And that, so the answer to that is implied, no, I have come to the mm-hmm.
3: uh, Bob, you mentioned book well, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, whose tagline was the power of positive thinking. Yeah. He'd be on the left side of the Protestant spectrum. I wouldn't agree with a lot of his theology, but he said exactly that. Mm-hmm. 60 years ago, he said that this life is a boot camp to get you ready for the next. Yeah. He said exactly what you said.
0: Which uh, puts an interesting spin on exactly what the next life is going to be all about. Mm-hmm. In what sense then uh, is all, all this training that we go through through our, uh, through our few years here on earth, uh, what is that actually preparing us for? in a detailed way what's no, heaven like pleasure. in that regard see
3: Elijah or Elisha or, or Seth or Moses or something you'll know their life story oh Moses tell us about the Red Sea you know you'll yeah. know yeah. you'll be instant friends did you know their story yeah Yeah. Gene yeah, I heard a priest once say that uh, he looked up and says uh, some of us are doing what you just said in you know, boot camp and others are craving for the final when you get to a certain age at my age. okay. Well, you know, when, and I've got, to, I've got to jump on that one, too. Um, if we don't rejoice in the Lord always, we have nothing to say to the world. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
3: I remember a lady named Mrs. Sorganson who was suffering and dying in a nursing home. Wonderful Christian lady in pain, laying there in the bed. And we came and visited her as part of our church. Still, Are you still rejoicing in the Lord? This is oh, yes. I don't know what I do without all. Huh. That is a
0: testament. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Very good.
1: Well, you kind of hit on that when you said um, when people are in our church never underestimate that they're watching you, not just you personally, mm-hmm. but individuals. That, that is a testimony absolutely so absolutely it's like you're doing it and you don't know it God's unaware. <laughs> yeah. and yet all this emphasis on some of the churches as you go out you've got to do all this stuff busy work yeah. which isn't bad but it's almost what's
0: When I, yeah, When I was still in the Presbyterian Church USA, there was our national leader of, uh, of ministries to youth, his name was Roger Nishioka, and he reported one time, he said, you know, I go all over the country to Presbyterian churches, and I talk to kids, that's my job, that's what I'm supposed to do, and I asked them, what are you looking for in a worship service? And you'd expect them to say upbeat music or, you know, something cool or something like that. And he said, over and over again, what I hear from the youth is they want to see genuine worship. They want to see people who mean business. And they can tell it by simply looking around the room. And and that's what we're talking about here. Now, that was a different generation, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's pretty much true in, in a lot of generations.
1: Going on in the room, especially for those that are hurting or somebody that's new, for any number of reasons. And we, I think that's the way the double short sells us—that we think we're rote or we're just doing the same thing. Is this really having any effect on me, on anybody around me?
0: the word, edification, in that regard, we we are edified. Okay, well, we started late, and we're ending late, but this (laughs) seems like a good place to stop right now. Thank you for your patience, and we got through it. Thank you. (laughs)